0: Previously on Podcast Without Pretense.
1: You know, I can't believe it, Eric. I can't believe you're going to treat us all to your fully memorized rendition of The Rapper's Delight. Go for it.
0: Eric, you've been doing Rapper's Delight for about three hours now. If you don't stop, I'm going to have to ask you not to come back next week.
1: Yeah, I like that Eric's response there was after he had clearly lost his voice but was still... Saying hip hop, a, did a hip to the hip, hip hip hop. Don't stop rocking till the bang bang boogie sit up. Jump the boogie to the rhythm to the boogie to be.
0: It was pretty, pretty phenomenal, really. Yeah. That was uh, that was a good episode though. Phenomenal episode. A very long episode. But uh, hey, who who are you? Hey, I'm not Eric Sandine. Who are you?
1: <laughs> I'm also not Eric Sandine. I'm also not Aya Akhtar.
0: I'm not Jonathan Strickland.
1: Okay, then we have
0: established who we are, I think,
1: through the I process of elimination.
0: Have. So today uh, this we is are podcast without or Eric Dean,
1: Yep, or, with, is, or uh, an audience. We're without an audience. Uh, <laughs> the <laughs> fact that Diamond, the Diamond Club's uh, Night Attack, the first show of Night Attack, has started about 10 minutes before we started this. So uh, uh, we wish them all the best because they're great guys. Well, and we can say, we Brian's we a great want, guy.
0: because Nobody's listening to us.
1: It's kind of <laughs> so uh, Ayaz, how are you?
0: I'm good. I'm realizing I need to switch up my uh, the way I'm hearing the audio back so there's no ducking because it's driving me insane. So why don't you keep talking and I'll be right there.
1: Okay, I can do that. So uh, normally on this show, one of the things we like to do is pick a movie and uh, pick a movie on Netflix, usually one that's ranked really, or at least the prediction rank is really low. Preferably it's a movie that none of us have seen before. And we eliminate all distractions. So it's just us and the movie. And the test is, how long can that movie hold our attention before we give up? However, seeing as how our, our third host, Eric Sandine, cannot be here, uh, he had a, a conflict come up. And uh, since he can't be here and he's the one who chose the movie, there was no way in hell that I as an I were going to go ahead and do this. You know, we weren't going to endure a terrible movie that Eric had chosen and yet did not himself have to watch. So we will not be discussing that particular film, which I believe was the doom generation. So that's still sitting in my queue. I have not watched it yet, but I will watch it before next week's episode. Um, in fact, I haven't really watched a whole lot of anything recently. I've, I've listened to a lot of Welcome to Night Vale because uh, uh, I just got into that show toward the end of last year, and I'd listened to a couple of episodes here and there. It's a great show, but you know you, you can only listen to so many in a row before you really need to take a break. And uh, The thing is that I've got tickets to go see a live performance of Welcome to Night Vale on Friday. So my wife and I have been desperately trying to catch up to all the episodes so that we know what's going on in case there are any continuity things in the show. Uh, So that's really what I've been doing. I haven't been watching a lot. I've been listening to a lot of Welcome to Night Vale. Uh, Ayaz, are you back yet?
0: I am back. I'm back 100%. And uh, I have not been listening to Welcome to Night Vale. Uh, We've mentioned that people who listen to this show should listen to that instead because they actually have content. Uh, we don't at all. Yeah. Let's see. yeah. I've, I've been watching a lot of I've marathoned Frasier for the past couple of weeks. Just been watching season after season after season because the entire runs on Netflix. And is, is asking, it, are, if,
1: have, even, they, have they replaced the missing episodes? Because I know when I was watching it on Netflix, I would get to chunks where there'd be maybe two or three episodes missing out of a season. So you'd have like episode 11 and then 12 and 13 would be gone, especially the two parters. A lot of those were missing.
0: I did not you- see that being an issue when I was watching it back. Although uh, the two parters had the syndicated version. So it'd be like there'd be an ending and then you would get this kind of frozen, uh, uh, I guess, outro and then you would start a new episode. So I, I think it's, it's all restored because I believe that when the DVDs came out a long time ago, there were two seasons in dispute between production companies, but all the seasons are there. I think all the episodes are there. And even the episodes I didn't think I would like, watching them back again, because I'd watched it before, they were, they're still really funny compared to a lot of the crap that's on TV right now.
1: Yeah, I, I remember the series lost me toward the end of its run. I think it was pretty much when Niles and Daphne finally got together that it started to lose me. But uh, uh, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't watched Frasier yet and it's on their to-do list and they just haven't gotten around to it. But uh, I know I know what my favorite episode is out of the ones that I've watched. I haven't seen the whole series, so perhaps there's another episode that I would like more than that. But I'm curious, do you have a favorite episode of Frasier?
0: Um, I don't know if I have a favorite. I, like The first one that's sticking out in my head is the episode where it's kind of this uh, sliding doors kind of style thing where Frazier is deciding whether to pick up this person in the rain uh, and he thinks that in one reality all things go really bad and this person happens to be a transvestite prostitute and he gets arrested for picking her up or him up and that leads to all kinds of uh, trouble but then there's the other reality where he just picks her up and I think that one was pretty good
1: my favorite is the radio play episode where the, the Frasier has decided to – he's got a hold of a, an old script, an old detective-style t- script, and he's decided he wants to direct an old-timey radio show complete with live Foley sound effects performed in the studio, and he starts casting the parts. And one of the actors he he auditions is a professional actor who was supposed to play a half-dozen roles – But Frazier's micromanaging demeanor, where he's trying to, uh, to undermine the actor at every turn, turns him away, turns the actor away, he quits. And so he has to get Niles in there, and Niles agrees to do it, but is unaware of how many roles he's actually going to have to do. And then everything goes wrong during the course of them trying to put on this radio play. And the reason I found it so incredibly funny... It's because um, I used to be part of the Atlanta Radio Theater Company, and we would do live radio dramas and comedies, but they were originals that we had written specifically for uh, the the company. And it would either be a completely original story or an adaptation of some other story that was in a different medium, so it wasn't originally a radio play. And more than a few things rang true in that episode where everything was going wrong. So much so that I later wrote a radio episode where specifically things go wrong. Like there are actual cues in the script for the Foley table to mess up a sound effect or for an actor to drop their script. And it was very carefully choreographed where everything had to go wrong at exactly the right time for it to work as kind of a performance piece. And uh, while we practiced it in rehearsal and it was great, we never got the courage to actually perform it out of fear of, t- of the audience believing that that was a genuine performance and not something we were doing on purpose.
0: You know, to call it like performance art or something people wouldn't get it, I would imagine. Well, beyond that, you
1: know, what's funny is that it's really hard to screw up on purpose and get the timing just right. I mean, to to have that kind of – ha- it had to be so carefully rehearsed and timed for the jokes to work, for this kind of uncomfortable humor to unravel to the point of absurdity so that people felt comfortable laughing and not just kind of that nervous chuckling where, oh, that didn't go right, did it? Uh, you know, you have to be really careful with the way you build that, and it's really hard to do. It's kind of why – Uh, One of the shows that I like a lot, it's called Noises Off. There's actually a a movie version with like Christopher Reeve and John Ritter and Michael Caine in it. Um, But it's a show. It's kind of a self-congratulatory show in a way. It's a show about putting on a show. And uh, the actors in this show within a show all have interpersonal conflicts with each other that play out as they're also trying to perform a play. So the first half is them rehearsing the play and everything is going poorly during the rehearsal. And the second half of the show is switched so that you're backstage and you see all the shenanigans that go on backstage as the actors actively have problems while a show is in performance. So stuff that you saw in the first act becomes cues in the second act that are, that kind of punctuate the action. Well, the thing is that it makes it look like it's just a big chaotic mess but in truth, it's very, very carefully crafted so that it gives that impression but doesn't actually become a big chaotic mess. And as it turns out, that's really hard to do. What was that, uh, that, that thing called again? Noises Off. Yeah, if you ever get a chance to see it, if you've never seen it, it's uh, very entertaining. The movie version is great. It's a little different from the play because the play traditionally has you looking at, in the first act, you're looking at a set. And the, the characters are trying to do this final dress rehearsal of the, on set while the director keeps giving uh, directions from offstage. So for most of the first act, you don't see the director at all. In the second act, traditionally in the stage show, uh, when the curtain rises, you're looking at the backside of the set. So everything looks like it's unfinished. It's just like an actual play set. You know, you can see where the, the, the flats are and everything. You see the, the scaffolding, all that kind of stuff, because it's a, it's a d- two-story uh, stage setting. And so it's really clever the way they do it. The movie's a little different. The movie kind of incorporates the onstage, offstage stuff a little more fluidly because it's a movie. You know, it has the freedom to go from one set to another without having to stop the whole show. So it's a little different, but Michael Caine's in it, uh, Christopher Reeve, John Ritter. um, It's a uh, 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 Carol Burnett is in it and everyone in it is brilliant. And they really did a great job. Christopher Reeve actually puts in one of the the funniest performances. He's a very uh, dim, but genuine actor who doesn't understand his motivation. So he's he's very frustrating to the director who just wants the guy to walk to where he needs to go and say the lines he needs to say. And, uh, and the play within the play is a farce. So there's a lot of that whole going into rooms, going out of rooms, doors, slamming, mistaken identities, that kind of thing. And the actual show itself is a farce. So you get double farcical. So if you don't like farces, don't watch that show because you will hate every moment of it. But if you enjoy that kind of absurdity and silly humor, it's really appealing.
0: There's actually like an episode of Fraser where they use the farce element where there's that little cabin and people keep going in the wrong rooms. A lot of sitcoms use that as a as a as an option for the fun, let's get away kind of option when everyone gets confused. There's always a couple of new characters in that particular episode and all kinds of attentions are misunderstood. I quite enjoy those episodes though. they They have to be timed well for them to work. It just seems yeah. like a goofy one. Um,
1: yeah, you, otherwise, it's definitely. <laughs> sorry, my dog <laughs> decided to join us. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely kind of a refined, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, you have to have the taste for that kind of humor. And I totally understand there are people who just find it to be stupid. They don't enjoy it at all. I even enjoy movies like Oscar. Which tend to get, you know, that, that got panned pretty heavily. That was the Sylvester Stallone comedy, uh, where he plays a a um a mafia boss who's trying to go straight. And uh snaps Provolone is his name. And uh and it's very silly, it's definitely a farce. And it I I find it found it very appealing. Partly because the supporting cast in that one was very strong, and Tim Curry was in it. Of course, Tim Curry was also in Clue, which was another farce. So yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of, the, of that form of comedy if it's done well. Like if, if it has that sense of timing, those, those sort of shows have to be really snappy. They can't let up for a moment. You can't really have a slow part because then you start thinking and you start realizing how ridiculous this is and how flimsy everything kind of just hangs on these little premises. So it's a lot, you know, there's a lot that you need to keep in the air to keep those those shows moving forward and entertaining the audience.
0: So I was going through Flipboard uh, the other well I think today or yesterday, and I saw this story that uh, Mark, Mike Parker, godfather of Helvetica, had died. Now I didn't know exactly who this guy was, and I found this uh, Fast Company article explaining how he was the godfather of Helvetica and how exactly that works out. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give a summary, even though we don't usually do this. So, I have this Fast Company Design, uh, FastCodesign.com article. It talks about how Parker invented tons of typefaces, about 1,100 of them, but he didn't invent Helvetica. Uh, what he did, though, he found this graphic, this is font he really liked, uh, New Haas Grotesque. And I apologize if I'm butchering that. It's by Haas Type Foundry. And he liked it so much, he wanted it to be in print but there wasn't an easy way to do that. So he took the original drawings of this, of this typeface and reworked it for typesetting machines. And that became Helvetica. Now he just recently died. And Jonathan, do you have an opinion on the font or was or it, it technically called? It's called a typeface. Uh,
1: I guess it all depends on the, how you're using it. I mean, um, I'm not, I'm not too bogged down by nomenclature when it comes down to that. Uh, I mean, I appreciate a good font uh, i don't I don't pay as much attention to it as some other people do um, i mean it's Helvetica is certainly one of the nicer ones to look at it's one of the, the three that I tend to uh, gravitate toward are times New Roman, Ariel, and Helvetica. Uh, but the only one that I knew the origin of was Cox sands that was the only font that I knew where it came from. And um, otherwise, like th- so this was an interesting story to me because I, it was one that I had
0: not heard before. Wasn't Comic, Comic Sans, Sans like originally in Bob or something?
1: Yes. Microsoft Bob is where Comic Sans came from. So you can thank Microsoft Bob for bringing us Comic Sans. And you can also thank Microsoft Bob for inspiring Microsoft to create Clippy so if you ever see a copy of Microsoft Bob somewhere, which I don't know where you would be <laughs> where you'd come across such a thing.
0: A museum just, of sorts.
1: Just go ahead and burn it for me, okay?
0: Even yeah, I, in a museum. I, I'm a I'm a font kind of guy. I like, I like looking at these kinds yeah. of designs. I'm always curious about not just the origins of them, just the way they look. Uh, I've, I've been into logos and designs for since I was a little kid. When it came to comic books, that's mm-hmm. what I started staring at. I started looking at like the amazing Spider-Man, like that graphic on there. I'm like, that's pretty cool looking. And then when they would change the logo of the of, of the book, I'd be like, why did you do this? What is this called? How do you do this? Because then there was like, we had computers and you could actually print this out on a dot matrix printer. I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. I can do this myself. So like the first couple of things I started printing out would be like in hundreds of fonts because that's what you did because you couldn't have more than one font instead of a typewriter. So just garishly horrible looking things. But I became... Uh, a font guy watched the Helvetica documentary, even though that sounds super pretentious. Uh, I did <laughs> enjoy it. Uh, did you it, Did you
1: follow it up with a documentary about the handlebar mustache and another one about skinny jeans? And
0: <laughs> no, not not yet. Uh, but it, it was <laughs> <laughs> the documentary was interesting to hear uh, the proponents and the opponents because there were a lot of people who freaking hate this thing. Like. If every character is supposed to look like the other character, it's indistinguishable. There is no reason this font should exist. Just a pure, utter hatred for it, which was just kind of fun to hear because the first half of this film is people just espousing how beautiful this is. It's great, and it's uniform, it's structure. And then these other guys go, no, it's just it's total and utter crap. It's horrible. It should die a death. Um, and I think the Fast Company design article mentioned how the one space where it hasn't really taken over the world is gravestones. And they're saying like, now is the time this should happen (laughs) because the godfather died.
1: Do, 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 do. I, uh, (laughs) yeah, I can't get worked up about fonts. Here's the thing. I, I am really, uh, I am the one area where I have absolutely no talent and don't get me wrong. There are many, but one of them is in any kind of graphic design. I don't have an eye for it. I mean, I can appreciate something that's well made and I recognize that it's well made, but I wouldn't know the first thing to do about getting from a blank canvas to that stage. I just can't do it. I, I, my brain doesn't work that way. So uh, a lot of these things just, you know, I, I appreciate the utility, but unless it is just a, a poorly designed font where you cannot really read it, then I don't – it doesn't really affect me that much. There's are some where I'll look at and I'll think, you know, that looks nice because the letters have a good spacing against each other. I, I don't like fonts where the letters are so close together that they kind of bleed into one another, um, that kind of thing. But, I mean, it's, it's not something I'm particularly passionate about.
0: I think I got obsessed – I really got obsessed with it when I started doing web design stuff and, like, around college time – Started making my own websites, and then as I got older, I was trying to tinker with different looks to things, and so I got really into design. Far too much. I color calibrate my monitor, and I have this amazing color scheme. Finally, this dark gray on black. And I've said this before, I'm the person, only person who actually see, I, yeah. you're turning into to, Darth Vader. Yeah, we need to reconnect with you. I can just, I can
1: just, hang on. <laughs> it's like I was following. I'm following. I'm not following anymore.
0: How's that? Much better.
1: That's much better.
0: Okay. Where was I?
1: You were, uh, you were saying that when you were designing websites in college, it, was, okay. <clears throat> it became very important to you.
0: Yeah, so I would color calibrate my monitors and I would have this color scheme, like this really dark gray on black, and the only person who could probably see it was somebody else with a color calibrated monitor because everybody else it was just black on black, which meant they didn't see a difference at all. So I realized at that point I'd gone too far into my obsession <laughs> with design because I'm like, this is not visible to 99% of people. So I took it back a little bit.
1: Yeah, I certainly do... appreciate that level of of uh, attention to detail. And I wish I had it. It's just one of those things that – it's one of those skill sets that, that I never developed. And it certainly doesn't come naturally to me. But uh, yeah, I've got a lot of friends who are in design in some form or another – and I envy them the, that skill set. And I realize that it is a skill set. Some people may have a more, you know, more of a natural affinity than others, but all of them worked to get good at what they do. So I don't want to dismiss it by saying, oh, you're just good at this because, you know, naturally you're better at it. Uh, it's certainly one of those things that had I worked at it, I'm sure I'd at least have a competency in it. <laughs> but right now I'm, completely incompetent. Like, don't ask me to be the one to design the look of your webpage. It'll pretty much look like one of those terrible MySpace pages from, you know, 1997 or something. I guess it was better than that. Yeah,
0: here it is. There was a, there was a story in the Steve Jobs biography about him spending like 30 minutes to debate what shade of gray should be used for the bathroom signs in the Apple store. And I read it and I was like yeah that makes lots of sense but like every every everything else around it said this is an absurd conversation to have why would anybody spend 30 minutes of time now granted he was like I don't know the CEO so he was kind of busy at the time so I don't know why exactly he was he was doing that but that's just the kind of argument I'm like yeah of course you'd have that argument for 30 minutes it's it's about the gray in the bathroom like you you got to yeah, change. absolutely
1: you have to you have to give a shit where people take a shit
0: Exactly. On that <laughs> note, we should talk about Lunchables.
1: Okay, let's do that. Well, speaking of shit, yeah. So you've, written, you've got a story here about Oscar Mayer rebrands Lunchables for adults.
0: Okay, now... Uh, this now is First
1: of all, bef- before you go into this, I want to say just based on that headline alone, and I've not read the little summary that's in all caps right next to it, but just based on that headline alone, I'm going to go ahead and say this is the saddest story... I've ever heard.
0: You know, I think we're getting closer and closer to either Idiocracy or Futurama, where we're going to have Bachelor Chow and, yeah. and Bron, or is it Brondo? Uh, yeah, because
1: Bron- it, it has electrolytes, you know, the stuff that plants crave.
0: <laughs> it's got electrolytes, a very, very helpful refrain. But this thing, uh, there, there's these Oscar Meyer sealed meals, they're called portable protein packs. And there's like three chambers. Like one's got like nuts, one's got uh, turkey, and the other part's got uh, let's see, marbled Colby and Monterey Jack cheeses. These like cubes of them. So I mean, effectively they're just lunchables, and there's no juice, and there's no cookies, but you get this like triple, uh, I guess, triple tray kind of thing, and it's sealed with a nice piece of plastic. They're called the portable protein packs, uh, and it's P3. It's kind of it's kind of shaped like a like a dumbbell. 13 grams of protein, you know, written right on the front of it saying it's going to be great for you. But then again, if you're thinking it's Oscar Mayer brand meats and cheeses, it's probably going to survive the, I don't know, some kind of apocalypse. Yeah, now, I think there's
1: just some kind of apocalypse, you not, know, not the, maybe the two course. or three different types of apocalypses. We don't want to, we don't want to paint it with such a broad brush as to suggest it could survive any and all apocalypses. But Is really, you word? just need the one.
0: Is there a no. word for for like for like hedging hyperbole? <laughs> Cuz that's what I end up doing and I I don't mean to but like it's it actually seems like there should be a word for that when you're being when you're qualifying hyperbole.
1: I don't know but hedging your hyperbole is the name of my talking heads cover band.
0: I think that's the name of this episode. <laughs>
1: hedging, <laughs> hedging your hyperbole. Okay, yeah, so you know what this makes it sound like? It sounds to me like this is a civilian lower calorie version of an MRE. I think so. Have huh? you ever have you ever eaten one of those, by the way? An MRE? No, I know you have. Yeah. Yes, I have. First of all, if you, yes, yes. if you ever if you ever do try and eat an MRE, first of all, and you got if especially if you're gonna try and eat the whole thing. You better plan out some vigorous activity for the rest of that day because they are absolutely packed with calories, huge number of calories, which makes sense because, you know, you're feeding soldiers who are going to often be under very stressful conditions, uh, doing a lot of exertion, and they need all that energy. But if you're me, eating one of these makes your chest hurt for about two hours afterward. So <laughs> I – I just cautioned.
0: <laughs> I'm looking it up now. If you can buy this, uh, this the MRE stuff from Emergency Essentials. I'm just curious about the chloric content because I am extraordinarily lazy when it comes to cooking. Now you're claiming there's a lot of calories in these things. Italian? Well, yeah,
1: like a about. like an actual army issue MRE. There's a lot of calories. Also, it's. It's not good eats, dude. I mean, you can do so much better. Even if you're you're being lazy, you can eat stuff that I mean, I'm sure there's some that are better than others, but the stuff we tried, uh I was doing it for a video, which I don't think ever came out. I need to talk to Ben Bolin and find out what the deal is <laughs> with that. Cause we we took did take after take after take of eating this stuff. And by the end of it, we were like like at first we were just eating it, because like, well, what the heck? We're, we're adventurous. We're try this out. And then as it went on, we were like, okay, no, I can't eat anymore. Let's get a spit bucket over here. (laughs) So by the end of that, that video shoot, it was extremely unpleasant to be in that studio under warm lights with steadily warming spit out MRE food. So this is what I'm saying is my life is, is fucking glamorous y'all.
0: Yes, it is indeed, and I can't wait for the follow-up when you try out these portable protein packs. This is also a 14-gram protein-based meal that comes with turkey breast, cheddar cheese, and dry roasted peanuts. It costs about two bucks. It It doesn't
1: sound bad actually. I mean I'm giving it a lot of shit because it sounds like it's – you know, uh, when you first hear it, it just sounds kind of unappetizing on the face of it. I'm sure it's fine it's not like I haven't had Oscar Meyer style deli meat type stuff before. Um, I'm not quite so pretentious that I would never, I would never eat it.
0: I think I'm reaching that point where I can't be seen with something like this anymore.
1: (laughs) So now we're we're officially podcast with pretense.
0: (laughs) Yes. I I have a, like I'm very pretentious. I cannot be seen with Oscar Meyer portable protein packs anymore. Uh, I, you know, when, when my son I, wants Lunchables and he tries it out, like I look at that weird disc of meat, that pressed Turkey and water thing. And I'm like, I should not be feeding you this, this disc of salt and horribleness. It's thank actually, goodness.
1: Thank goodness. Value Wag isn't around anymore or else just imagine what would happen if you were caught on camera carrying one of those Oscar protein packs. I mean, your reputation would be ruined.
0: My, my, that's right, my sparkling reputation uh, <laughs> as as a well known healthy eater who does not eat this stuff. Now I love American cheese, which is just oil, but this yeah. you haven't you haven't looked at the actual image though, right? You you haven't seen what this packaging looks no, like. No, I haven't. Uh, oh, here, oops, sorry, boy, that was Did unprofessional. Did you, just thing your in the dog, mic? with the
1: mic. No, 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 my dog bonked my hand, and then I bonked the mic. Oh I was okay. saying it was, it was un, unprofessional for me to bong the mic. Okay, I see it. All right. So, yeah, it's a little plastic pack with con, you know containers for each of the things that are supposed to go in it. I it does definitely look like, you know, an adult lunchable kind of thing. It's pretty much the way you had it pegged.
0: I'm really glad that uh, the dog did not hit the mic because then we could not say at the end of this episode like we do every episode, no animals were harmed in the course of this podcast.
1: Well, we could say one animal was harmed in the course of this podcast.
0: Slightly harmed. Um, two animals were annoyed downstairs on the couch. <laughs> Those are my dogs.
1: Yeah, I have to hold him or else he's going to get antsy and then make a mess that I'll have to clean up later.
0: So this way You've he'll got, just yeah. – what's that? You've got the Flex coin piece in here. Flex coin yeah, I
1: wanted to – well, I know. I know. This is news news. It's kind of ridiculous, right? But the only reason I wanted to include it is for the schadenfreude uh, angle, which is that uh, so Flexcoin built itself as a bank in quotation marks for Bitcoin um, in quotation marks because it wasn't an official bank in the sense that it was, you know, insured or anything. Uh, And they also were self-proclaimed experts at fixing bitcoin's problems including security vulnerabilities and uh, they prided themselves on their reputation for being problem solvers and being really proactive and innovative with fixing bitcoin problems and then uh, on march the 2nd they were hit by a hacking attack and 896 bitcoins were stolen from them and now they've gone out of business immediately because they can't They can't remain solvent after that. And uh, because they weren't insured, all of those coins are gone and they can't reimburse their customers. Uh, They do have some coins that were in what they called cold storage, which was essentially stored on a server that was then disconnected from the internet. So those coins are still uh, viable and they will be returning those coins to their rightful owners once they verify the rightful owner's identities. Uh, But all the... Things that were in the quote-unquote hot wallets, which were available for use whenever you needed them, are gone. So uh, that's the reason why I included the story is because it's one of those where – I mean I don't take any real pleasure out of someone who claims that they have solved all these issues uh, getting burned this badly. Especially when you consider the fact that the real victims here are the people who entrusted their money to FlexCoin in the first place. But it, it certainly is one of those that I've seen a lot of people kind of, you know, say, oh, oh, that's so sad in a very sarcastic way. I
0: just saw a that what popped you, what? Up. Yeah. Sorry?
1: No, I was just going to ask, what's your whole take on the Bitcoin
0: thing? Like, what's what do you think of Bitcoin? I, I think it's a really speculative I I want to say it's a commodity, but it's not a commodity. But it's, it, it, that's the closest way for my brain to understand it as an that's, item. That's how,
1: that's, uh, how it, that's how I view it too because the volatility of its value is such that you can't really consider it a viable currency for anything. I mean I would I would be terrified of spending a Bitcoin on something knowing how volatile the value is and thinking that the next day that Bitcoin could have been worth twice as much – and that I essentially threw that much money away on a purchase because you know, I could have bought the same thing for half as much money the next day. So it you know it's not really a great currency uh, so much as it is something that a lot of people are investing in. I think over time, assuming that the confidence level would be there in the market, it could be a currency, but I just don't see it as a currency right now.
0: Yeah, the the thing is, with it's volatility. Like you're saying, makes it very difficult to, to spend because you don't want to spend it directly. You almost want to spend against it. Uh, it's it seems like it's it's something that would make more sense if you called it gold. But the fact that it's just as as uh, stealable or it's just as losable as cash or gold, it becomes this kind of bizarre uh, thing that it doesn't exactly instill me with any confidence. You don't have any insurance on it on top of it. So it's you might as well be hoarding gold in your house because that seems like it's a safer bet than having it online where basically anybody has access anybody who has access to a machine can try to get to those bitcoins if you're keeping it in a a bank online a bank online versus keeping it like under your mattress or something because at least that commodity is now limited in its it's uh i don't know stealability by people who actually want to show up here at the house
1: right yeah it's not something that Someone across the on the other side of the world could get their hands on. Um, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, the only reason I left it in there at all was just because the angle about the fact that you know they were so proud of themselves for fixing problems. It's um, and it ju- does illustrate that there are some some things about digital currency that make it very different from physical currency. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's. The same sort of problems. I mean, you know, physical currency can be stolen as well, but uh, there's nothing about physical currency that makes it safer necessarily, other than the fact that the avenue for stealing it is different. And in general, hackers are not so much worried about getting shot by security guards when they steal digital currency. Unless you're talking about one of those awesome movies of the 1980s where hacking a computer <laughs> was shown as a video game.
0: There's all these movable objects, especially the '80s. The you know, if we could just reach the the uh, the kind of rendering that these '80s movies had when it came to this idea of how the inside of a computer is and how objects are actually stored. If we can get to that stage of ridiculousness with our modern computers, I think I'd be quite impressed.
1: Uh, hello. We've already talked about it, Microsoft Bob.
0: <laughs> okay, and but that was. Uh, I'm thinking more of that the was, city concept not the, <laughs> the house. Not concept. a house. Oh. Yeah, well, so I need a lot of bombs. I'm,
1: so, I'm so sorry that I my vision was far too narrow for your for your brilliant idea. Okay, well, then let's uh let's talk about uh this other one that you put in here. Oscar's. Not Oscar Meyer. We already covered that yeah, story. The Academy Awards. Yeah. Yeah. Did, so you, did watch you watch them? them? No, not nope. at all. Did you? No, neither one of us watched them.
0: Good.
1: <laughs> all right, next story. Uh, no, so I, I left a comment on my Facebook page about how I wasn't watching the Oscars, but all of my social media feeds had turned into the caddiest discussions. Didn't matter who it was that was posting, you know, male, female, straight, gay, didn't matter. It was just a catty, catty, snarky, tirade of comments that were coming out of it and uh the way i i liked it it was like imagine the show will and grace when it was the worst at, at perpetuating the caddy stereotype uh and then dial that up a few notches and that's what it was like was <laughs> just seeing uh, all the different comments about people's delivery, what they were wearing, who was winning. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't need to watch because I'm getting that experience of being in you know, a room full of the the snarkiest people I know uh, and just uh, you know, ha- hearing them unleash on the show. So that was entertaining to a point. It did get a little tiresome, particularly by the end of the show. But yeah, I, I didn't actually have it on it, at all.
0: I had I didn't even know it was on until I went on Twitter that day and then I saw my my Twitter stream just getting flooded with this stuff and I didn't care about it in the first place. I didn't even know what was nominated for anything. And then after about an hour of seeing just this huge in, just it was just inundated with Oscar tweets. I just turned off Twitter. I didn't bother looking at it till the next day. And it just I think I didn't miss anything other than there was a selfie and yeah, the Leonardo million DiCaprio retweets. didn't win again. Yeah. And Garrett Ullman didn't win again. So that's about Sandra Sandra Bullock,
1: Sandra Bullock didn't win for gravity. Although gravity did win best director, which was kind of interesting because she was pretty much like, she was definitely the core of that movie. You know, it was, she's in like all the shots. So (laughs) it was one of those where one of those little bits where it was, um, that was a little interesting. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and I also, you know, the the various people commenting on the musical performances and, um, oh, and John Travolta uh, uh, mispronouncing Idina Menzel's name.
0: What did uh, he say?
1: Uh, I don't remember. You know, I didn't actually watch the show, but I, I saw like people saying things like Azim Nabik or something. Like it was all all <laughs> these variations on it. My favorite was that people immediately started to – post uh what it would have been like if john travolta had hosted the oscars and given every single person that same sort of treatment so uh the best one was benedict cumberbatch who turned into bento tinderbox
0: (laughs) yeah i saw i saw a bunch of that pop up saying my my john travolta name is yeah mine i don't even
1: mine was jackson smart so not not particularly hilarious but bento tinderbox for for Benedict Cumberbatch is probably one of my favorites.
0: It sounds but, uh, like a URL that Eric would buy if he was here right ben, now.
1: Bento tinderbox. Yeah, mm-hmm. I also noticed that it was it was funny that someone immediately created a fake uh, Twitter account with the name I think it was like Adela Nazim or something like that was, uh, but they they ended up making a fake uh, Twitter account. For Idina Menzel, but using the name that John Travolta had said, and uh, the first tweet was something like "Thanks, Jorn Travolato."
0: <laughs> okay, that explains that retweet I saw everywhere. Yeah. Okay, that's what that meant.
1: Yeah. So there you go. See, that's little things I knew, and and again, I got all this through osmosis because I wasn't watching the the Oscars at all. You know, was it was it um, Seth MacFarlane who who hosted them last year? Was, that, was I, that the Oscars or was that, that was the it. Emmys? I couldn't remember if it was Oscars did, or Emmys. I thought you was the Oscars. I think you're right. And I remember being floored with how not funny it was and awkward and uh, insulting, but not insulting in a particularly smart way. Um, so it didn't, like, there was no appeal for a lot of that performance. And I think that kind of just. Burned me on it. Personally, I'm of the opinion that Neil Patrick Harris should host all award shows for all time. But, um, but that's, I do find him just endlessly entertaining. So it's, it's a bias, but, um, speaking of endlessly entertaining, uh, you, you subscribe to the WWE network, right? Yes, I do. Yeah, I, I did as well. And, uh, I, I understand I haven't tried it yet. Cause I haven't had chance once I got home. But I understand they they fixed the Xbox 360 connectivity problem that was there, where you could try and, and sign in, but it would not recognize your username or password. I got an email saying that that had been addressed, so I'm looking forward to being able to watch it on my my television. But uh, I've really been enjoying it quite a bit. I've been watching uh, stuff, but you know, some of the more recent pay per views as well as some of the classics, and. uh you know, going back, even looking at like episodes of Raw, just kind of random ones. Haven't really done I haven't really gone deep into the vault yet to look at some of this stuff from WCW or ECW yet. And I know that's kind of limited anyway at the moment, but um I I've been pretty impressed with it. Despite the little technical glitches, the actual content is is pretty solid, I think.
0: Yeah what I'm really but, liking is the the live programming so to speak, because because their library is so vast, I don't know where to start. Sometimes I'll go into like pay-per-view and I'm like WCW and then I don't know what happened in that year. So I don't have to like look up stuff and figure out do I want to see this main event or not? Or I just show up and go, what's on now? And I'll just let it run. And then maybe yeah. I'll find something I find interesting or not. Or something will spark a memory. And I'm like, oh, now I can look this up and I can figure this out. Because I think sometimes when I turn on Netflix or bring it up, there's like this paralysis because it's here's tons of movies, yeah, TV here's shows. everything. What are you going to watch?
1: Yeah, totally. I, I get that. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, like, I've got so... Do you do you find yourself collecting stuff in your queue that you completely intend to watch but you just haven't got around to doing it but it's been sitting there forever?
0: I've got that and I also have something like in my... Have you ever used Pocket? I have or, not used the, that. It's like Instapaper. It's like read it later, that kind of thing. Got so it. So if if I ever read all the things in my pocket queue, I'm like going to be like the smartest guy in the world, but yeah, I just sits I, I there. Figure, with this idyllic idea.
1: I figure if I ever actually sit down and watch all the movies that are in my Netflix queue, I've clearly received some terrible news and I'm not going to be around much longer. And I finally decided that I need to, t- to take the time and watch it all because it's, it's kind of funny. It's the digital equivalent to if you had the, uh, the DVD plan with Netflix and the first thing you ask for is some sort of, you know, either critically acclaimed movie or art house film or something, something you think you should watch. Not necessarily something you are dying to watch, but you just feel like this is this is a movie I should have seen by now. And then it just sits there on your coffee table. I mean, I, I was guilty of that too. I was one of those guys who uh, I think it was Casino Royale. I got Casino Royale, I which I don't necessarily think is a movie that I absolutely have to watch, but. Because I'm kind of I'm a very casual James Bond fan. But at the same time, I was like, I should really watch this. I, was, I should see this reboot of this franchise, see what it's all about. I still haven't seen that. Uh I did return the DVD, but I never watched it. And now I've got the equivalent of that in my digital queue. There are movies that have been sitting there for more than a couple of years that I have not you know, I keep thinking, yeah, I need to watch this, especially since I know occasionally stuff disappears from netflix in fact i know that there's stuff that was in my queue that's not there anymore because netflix had to take it down um but yeah i mean i'm more likely to watch something i've already seen than to watch some of the stuff that's in that queue
0: yeah i i think when i saw that certain things were going to expire because that's actually sometimes it's an option you can see the expiration i'm like i'm gonna watch this right now and i'll put it to the top of the queue and it doesn't get watched it's because I, I just I, I, there's something about just running old stuff that I've seen. That I'm like that's fine, but otherwise it's well, just a lot. It seems it's like comforting. it's a lot of work.
1: Well, let me ask you this, Ayans. If you could think of, can you think of a movie that you feel you should have seen by now? Doesn't ha- doesn't necessarily have to be an amazing, great, critically acclaimed movie. Just something you feel like by this time in your life you should have seen it, but you've never actually watched it.
0: Um, I know, I'm looking at my list right now. I'm like, the untouchables would be a good one. Wow.
1: Now that, that is a great movie. Really entertaining. Great in the sense that it's really entertaining. I wouldn't say it's, you know, one of the best movies ever made. It's certainly, as I recall, the untouchables is the one that kind of created one of the great movie and TV tropes of the baby carriage going down the stairs. <laughs> you know, in one of the shootout scenes, it's one of the things that's happening. And as, as all the, these bullets are flying around, as I recall, that came from the untouchables, but that's, that's great. Especially when you hear uh, Sean Connery, um, being wildly racist towards the Irish cop, <laughs> or maybe it was the <laughs> Italian cop. I can't remember.
0: Do you have a movie that you think you
1: should have seen by now? Oh, good Lord. I've got a ton of them. Um, yeah. Like Lawrence of Arabia. I should, should have definitely oh, have seen either. Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. Well, it's one of those movies where, I mean, I love, I, I know the music. I love the music. I know the images. Uh, they're really evocative. The cinematography looks amazing. I know the performances are phenomenal, but I have yet to actually watch it. And, uh, I need to sit down and do that because I know I, first of all, I'm sure I would really appreciate and enjoy that movie. Uh sometimes I feel like I need to be in a really particular mood to watch something, especially an epic. But um it, a lot of it is just if I if I just got it started, sat really sat down, made sure that I had the time, I I am convinced I would absolutely love that movie, but I have never watched it. I will say that uh I went to we have a, a theater here in Atlanta. And it's used mostly as a live performance stage for, for big stage musicals or uh, sometimes it's used as a rock venue, Mm. but it's also in the summer used to show movies and it's a theater that has, has a balcony. It's got this very uh, kind of Arabic design. It looks like it's an Arabic courtyard, gorgeous theater called the Fox theater. Well, the summer movie series is awesome. Uh, And they will show previews during the summer movie series and they do movies from all across, you know, the, the era of film from the most recent films, like the biggest blockbusters from the year before to classics. And I remember one year I went and I want to say the movie I was going to was a double feature of The Shining and Clockwork Orange. So it was a, a Stanley Kubrick double feature. And uh, they showed a preview and the preview just shows this insane wide shot of the desert. And you can see a figure on, uh, on a horse way off in the distance riding toward the camera. But, uh, but they, but it's incredibly far away. So they're not in focus and you could tell that it's moving towards you, but it's so far away that it doesn't look like it's making any progress at all. And then there's a narrator who's just saying, oh, when it was made, it immediately went to the top ten films of all time and has stayed there. It won so you know blah 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 academy Awards goes on and on and on about all the accolades of Lawrence of arabia and um, by the end of it, it starts getting really pretentious like it's it 's a good thirty five forty second long promo promotion for this uh, this movie by the end of it, it he starts going and uh, if you 've been watching this preview this whole time and still don't know what movie this is, you have to come see it. And then the film, then it goes dark. It, they never announce the title. So it goes dark. And I'm in a packed movie house that has a, ba- I'm in the balcony. The, the the floor is packed. The balcony's packed. It's quiet now. And I couldn't help myself being the smart ass that I am. And I said, Citizen Kane, right? And then immediately I can hear, The people on the floor below the balcony laughing. (laughs) 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 This this incredibly pretentious preview for Lawrence of Arabia, and immediately I purposefully misinterpreted a Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane, however, I have watched. I did watch that movie. Uh and but I didn't watch it until 2013. That was the first time I'd ever seen it.
0: I think I beat you then. I watched it I think in twenty ten. On DVD because I stole my brother's copy and I was like, oh, I finally watched this, and so many Simpsons jokes that come from it. It's kind of oh, okay, makes all the sense. Actually, the there's there
1: are a ton of yeah, there are a ton of jokes from, of course, all sorts of shows. Like, there were there were a lot of jokes like I didn't realize it till after I'd seen it, mm-hmm. but uh, there were a lot of jokes in MST3K episodes that specifically reference it, especially like if there's ever a shot. Of a large, imposing mansion, they usually make some sort of Sizz and cane reference, but it tends to be uh not a direct like not not a head on reference where you know they say sizz and cane or rosebud, but something a little more obscure but now I get those jokes. my dog is getting more to. antsy.
0: Okay, before he gets antsy, there's a movie I want to just highlight real quick that's on Netflix that I'm going to watch soon. Uh, it's called Drew, the Man Behind the Poster. It's a documentary on the artist who drew a bunch of movie posters for George Lucas and Spielberg. So, if you've ever seen those oh. really cool drawn uh, imagery, so like you've probably seen it with Star Wars, it's a good example of these drawn uh, posters. Like, I need to watch this movie because, like, that this design work, I know I've seen it a lot, of uh, – so many different uh, posters that I no wait, I've is, is know got to know more the, about this guy.
1: Is this the guy who did the, the famous star Wars poster where Luke has got like abs of steel?
0: Uh, I don't know if it's that one, you know, I which one I'm talking about though. Right. The one that
1: has, he, he, you know, the, the lightsaber looks almost like it's a beacon of light in that it's, I'm the, I'm thinking of star Wars, new hope specifically, uh, the movie poster for that, where, um, the, yeah, Luke ends up looking like he's mega – Like he, Luke looks like he stepped off the the cast of the 300, but uh, let's, uh, I don't know if it's the same artist. It's clearly see. not a photograph is what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's that guy. No, no, no. He's like um, – if you think of um, – what am I looking at right now? I'm looking at episode one, the Indiana Jones posters. Oh, okay. They look photorealistic. Harry Potter. Uh, gotcha interesting yeah his stuff is very photorealistic so no it's not the one where oh gosh i know which one you're talking about too where it's just super over the top it looks like almost like it's an anime
1: right because leia is is, leia's crouched down next to him and she's got like one leg kilt way off to the side and, and then you've got the han solo with the gun in the crouch position and the darth vader in the background and um, As I recall, I mean, I'm doing all this from memory. I don't have the the poster up in front of me, so I could be
0: big trouble, little be, China. I think if you remember that poster, oh, I think a lot of people do. Oh, that's him.
1: fantastic. That's a that's a fantastic poster. Uh, it, I that's one of the movie posters I wish that I actually owned. But then I'm a huge Big Trouble in Little China fan.
0: I've seen that movie twice. I think my whole life.
1: Good grief! I must have what. Big Trouble in Little China joins. There are certain films that I can watch if they just happen to be on television. I feel obligated to watch them all the way through. Big Trouble in Little China is one of those. Uh, the other one I can think of right off the top of my head is Jaws. Those two movies, it doesn't matter when I walk into a room. If they're on the television, I'm ready to watch the rest of it. Should
0: we look, Should we look into the future You're see what's a robot happening again. next week? Next week. What was
1: that? You're what was a robot that? again, Aya's.
0: Robot again.
1: Yeah, that already sounds better. Now, now you're inaudible.
0: I'm au- now you're inaudible.
1: Now you. Now I can hear you. Now I can hear you.
0: Okay. Okay. Next week. So what was it? Podcast that pretense.
1: Man, you know, I was, I think I liked you better as a robot.
0: I think my video pros. <laughs>